0: You own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. This quote comes from the book Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. And today's guest lives, writes, and you could say dates by it. Today we're going to talk about dating, but not in the common how-to type way, but through another lens. What if dating isn't just about having fun or meeting a potential partner, but learning a whole lot about yourself? Can dating help you heal old wounds? And what if even the toughest dating experiences you have can serve as brilliant teachers? Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so thankful that you're listening Before we dive in, a big shout out to today's sponsor, The Pleasure Chest, your one-stop shop for sex toys, sexual health products, sex positive education, and more. They offer free workshops in their stores with upcoming topics here in Los Angeles, including threesomes on September 23rd, strap-on get-off on September 26th, and more. And you can also shop on their amazing website, thepleasurechest.com. I hope you'll join me as well at the store in Los Angeles. It's in West Hollywood with fellow authors Erica Garza and Susie Favor Hamilton who've both written these amazing books about really intimate experiences that they've had in their own lives and hardships they've overcome they're really inspiring you've actually probably heard them here on girl boner before we are going to be at the pleasure trust on october 7th at 4 p.m for a live recording of the show including brief readings from our latest books you can purchase my new book girl boner there or on amazon in barnes and noble and you can also request it at your favorite indie bookstore if you appreciate it i would so love to hear from you Tell me what you think in an Amazon review. It really helps keep things going. Learn more on my website. That's augustmclaughlin.com, where you can also sign up for occasional girl boner extras by email. Now I'm so pleased to welcome back. Bruna Nessif, back for her second appearance on the show. She's an advocate for personal development and a self-proclaimed hopeful romantic and founder of The Problem with Dating, an awesome multimedia platform that provides entertaining yet thoughtful pieces about love, dating, self-reflection, and spiritual growth. Bruna's work has been featured in multiple publications and networks, including e-news playboy huffington post cosmopolitan esquire and bravo she's currently enrolled in the institute of professional excellence and coaching to become a certified and accredited life coach for high conscious living which is so you bruna specializing in self-love and relationships additionally she's been studying energy work and is continuing her journey to become a master reiki healer which is awesome and That quote, first of all, thank you so much for being here, Bruno. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for inviting me back. I just love being here. And congratulations to you, by the way. Thank you. We had book birthdays around the same time. I know.
2: And we were both talking about it the first time I was on. So it's really cool to come back and like see it come to fruition. Yeah,
0: full circle for us. I know, yeah, yeah. Yes. We're both in the midst of that like chaotic, exciting, challenging right. time too, <laughs> which is like, ah! Yeah. Uh, but when I read that quote at the beginning that you have in your book, uh, you know, that basically if you're telling your stories, you know, you're gonna tell your stories. And yeah. I knew going into your book when I saw that, I thought, oh, she's going for it, and you did. Yeah. You share a lot of really personal experiences from mm-hmm. your life. It felt very vulnerable to me in a very positive way, very honest. I don't think you held back. And you also, I don't want to give too much away about the actual book because there's some neat surprises, I think, in the format. But theres you share these epiphanies that you have Mm -hmm. all throughout. Yeah. Yeah. What did you intend with that? Was that something that you set out doing or were you writing and it just sort of came into shape that way?
2: I think a little of both. I mean, obviously, when I was writing the book, that quote means so much to me. Like that quote I came across years ago when I was considering starting the problem with dating. And so I kept that in mind just with that platform because I was so scared because of my people-pleasing tendencies. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't want anyone to get mad at me, you know. And then I saw that quote. And I was like, this is so true. So anytime I would get like anxious or afraid, I would go back to that quote. And I'm just like, Bruna, it still happened. You know, they chose how to react and behave. That's not your problem. So if you're telling a story and they come off in a certain light that's undesirable, well, then maybe they should have behaved better. Right. (laughs) So when I was starting this book, I knew That quote is going to be the opening because that's kind of been my mantra or whatever you want to call it throughout this process. However, this book was just so full of surprises even for me because, you know, you go in with one intention. I'm going to tell these stories. Hopefully people gain lessons. But really like the biggest student in this process was me because so many different obstacles or or just things would happen along the way that would delay the book. But in retrospect, it was like, oh, it wasn't time yet. I so relate to that. yeah, Yeah, Yeah. It was just so many lessons and things that still needed to happen which at the time I obviously wouldn't have known but now I'm like wow it came out at the perfect time if I would have put it out a year ago or whatever I wouldn't have been happy with it because it wasn't complete yeah it was I think it's just great how that happened
0: that's so awesome so you start out with this story the one who pushed me away Mm -hmm. which took place during your year plus of decidedly not having sex and that's what we had talked about last time that you were in because i had mm-hmm. read the article that you wrote for cosmo which was really fascinating and then you don't mention that commitment much through the rest of the book and i wonder if some of were some of the stories during that time versus not was that a conscious decision or or did those experiences not really stand out to you as like the ones that you needed to tell as far as you know at a relationship or a date where you had to kind of talk about your commitment to not having sex?
2: Yeah, Um, there was definitely some overlap with a few of them, but I really chose like I was like which relationships because there were other substantial relationships and lessons. But I was just like, who really like tells a story here? And some of them that turned out to be the biggest takeaway, I didn't even consider putting in the book at first until I realized like, oh, my gosh, there's something profound here. But with that one specifically, it was just one of those where I knew I wanted to put that story in the book because he was the first guy that, like, gave me that single situation shippy type of experience the first time I was single. So it was like, got out of this relationship, met this guy. And to me, that's dating now. Like, it was the perfect um illustration of dating in 2018 but also had such a deeper story which didn't come till later so that guy was in and out of my life for six years which I feel like a lot of people can relate to you know not not feeling like they got closure someone always dipping back in when you think you've moved on then what do you do with it and then oh my gosh you reunite and what happens and then this big plot twist (laughs) happens as far as like oh this is why you didn't date me you know it was just like the perfect story to kind of lead the book because it touched on so many topics that I feel like I tried to go deeper into with other chapters so it was like to me the perfect intro
0: yeah I thought it was a really good choice too and you mentioned a lot of people relating to the lack of closure and all of that and I thought you wrote about that in a really smart way I've heard that current dating like especially for millennials there's a lot of ghosting happening yeah is that I've heard I mean like a lot where people just like disappear constantly on each other is that happening oh girl is it it's like never not
2: happening it feels and it that's the thing that bothers me I always tell people I feel like an old soul and so I don't I don't feel comfortable in this generation, to be quite frank. Like, yeah, I, I get the whole millennial thing and whatever. And honestly, I feel like min- millennials get a lot of um, flack that they don't deserve. But there is that that integrity that's lacking that I really value. And so I try to bring that to every relationship I have, regardless of the stat, you know, romantic, friendship, family, whatever. But getting that back is what I found is so rare because people now go so much that it's become normalized. And so they they don't care about it. It's like, oh, well, they ghosted me and that's fine. But it's not fine, you know, like and that's why people keep doing it, because they don't understand, wow, that's not a nice thing to do. Like I, in some cases, like in my story, really cultivated this substantial relationship with someone and really really. Made them feel like I care about them and then just disappear.
0: Yeah, which is a horrible feeling. It happened to me once and I just remember feeling because you're worried about them too. It's like, yeah. are they safe? You know, but you don't know them well enough to actually know what's right. going on. And it's horrible. Do you feel like the ghosting kind of trend? So it's being perpetuated by prevalence, right? Mm-hmm. But does it come somewhat from Technology and sort of, it's so easy to like swipe and ignore. And since you're not necessarily seeing the person in Mm -hmm. person very much, or it's a text, we lose some of that intimacy and the nuance. Oh, definitely.
2: I think the fact that so many connections, however you want to define that, happen digitally, that it does, it kind of almost doesn't register in your head like, oh, this is another human being. It's like, this is a name on a screen. This is someone to text. And when I'm over it, I'm over it. And they'll be fine because it happens to everyone. It happens all the time. It's not a big deal. Mm. And it's like, okay, that's one thing, which I still think is not great. But then you have people who you do meet in person and you do, even if it's not serious, like you still spent time with this person. You're still now someone that's a part of their life in some way and I just feel like common decency if you're not feeling it have a conversation about it but people don't like to do that they just they'd rather just oh well if I ignore them they'll get the hint and then it's fine but that's so selfish to me and granted I've done it you know to be completely frank I've done it because it's easier than having that uncomfortable conversation of hey you know I don't think this is gonna work or whatever so you're like,
0: well, they'll get the hint because they'll just stop responding. but, right. that, that but that's sucks. not how we grow either. It's yeah. like it's hurtful, but then also it hurts our it's hurts the other person and us because right. we don't get to have those difficult conversations which help us grow as people and and find real lasting connections with people. Absolutely, and it's like at the end of the day,
2: if you don't respect the other person, fine, that's on you too, but. Do you respect yourself by doing that type of behavior? Like, what are you putting out there? How are you showing up? What are you telling people that you value in your interactions if that's how you
0: lead? Right. Yeah. yeah. I talk a lot about setting boundaries, and I think they're so important. And as you were talking, I thought, oh, my goodness, it's I think some people might see that in kind of a twisted way mm-hmm. without trying to, where they go, I'm going to set my boundary by ignoring that person, which you should if you're in harm, right? Mm-hmm. Full permission to everybody. We should have that for ourselves. If someone is harassing you or making you feel violated in any way, you do not owe them your time or right. response, anything. But if it's just, oh, I don't really want to talk to this person. Bye. That's not a boundary. That's that's just sort of letting it, you know, Fizzle. float into right. Netherlands. In its own way. And
2: to be completely honest, I think I illustrate it in the book. My boundaries are not great. You know, I, that's something I continuously work on just because I've always felt like, well, I should be at everyone's beck and call. I should put myself out there for whoever I care about. And it doesn't matter if I'm depleted. It's fine. Like, you know, all this stuff. So it is difficult to start setting boundaries, especially with people that you're close to because you don't know how they'll react. But that's when I go to another quote, which I'm probably going to mess up because I can't remember it verbatim, but it's something along the lines of when you start placing boundaries and those close to you get mad, you realize how much they took advantage of you not having boundaries.
0: Uh, So I'm
2: always just like, okay, like I need to put myself first, my needs first. That's not selfish. Like we've been taught to believe. And you'll easily see like who gets it and who's just like, Yeah, I've had friends who either flipped a noodle and was just like, What's going on? Like I need you right now, right here, you know, all this stuff. And I was mm-hmm. like, ooh, that's interesting. And I've had friends who are like, Finally, like good for you. It's about time that you did that. Yeah. And I'm just like, I know.
0: And it shows you who your true friends are and yeah, who cares about you because those people want you to stand up for yourself right. as you learned. That made me think of another theme a bit in your book and several chapters you talk about kind of the whole currency of sex where mm-hmm. in a kind of heterosexual scenario where the guy is like i'm taking this mm-hmm. or even you'll say you know he he needed my body mm-hmm. you know like an objectifying happens and you feeling the need to to give mm-hmm. you know that it wasn't about in those cases it wasn't about your pleasure right it was more no. he's trying to take Right. Yeah. Has that changed for you over time? Obviously, you've learned so much in in all of these different lessons. Mm -hmm. What, What has that narrative been like for you since some of these stories? I mean, the whole sexual experience for me to
2: this day is just like the blinders are coming off and so many epiphanies and revelations. And I'm just like, why am I just now seeing this? Like, Why am I just now learning this? And I'm grateful for it, but it does cause you know, a lot of resistance or just like shame sometimes, like self-shame as far as, Bruna, you're a smart girl. Why didn't you see this? Like, why didn't you get it? You know, all this stuff. And I'm just like, ugh, that sucks. But I think it's also subconsciously that objectification of my body, never feeling like I own my body, always feeling like I was, you know, my sexuality was there just to serve other people and not myself or all of that kind of subconsciously led to why I did stop having sex, you know, thinking back, which is still happening. I'm almost at three years, which is crazy. But when I think back, that makes sense to me. I'm like, okay, I did this for one reason, which was, you know, guys made me feel like that's all they cared about. That's all they wanted. I'm taking it off the table. I'm trying to see, you know, what reframe my mentality around it. Then I come across, you know, past experiences and trauma, and I'm like, oh, so this started way back when, and I just didn't even realize it. And so then I started to see the pattern and the repeated behavior and the mentality, and then also like how I even that energy I have when there are men around. Like, I feel very protective of myself whenever there's men around because of the experiences I've had. And that's not something I like you know I don't want to feel like every guy's a predator and I got to protect myself and put up this wall but unfortunately and I know a lot of other women can relate certain experiences are hard to let go of and then they you protect yourself because you don't want to experience those again so it's just trying to process through that and and realize you know it was unfortunate but it taught me certain things and now it's a matter of okay so who do I want to be and how do I want to interact with men? Because I do have great men in my life and I love them and I know not every guy is horrible. So it's unfair of me to go in with that idea because it's just, it's not realistic, but also not being naive and protecting myself because this is the world we live in, unfortunately.
0: I wondered about that as I was reading too in the context of this this three-year commitment that you've had. So I, I love that you are thinking about that you're constantly evolving and learning and growing and I thought she's she's reclaiming her sexuality yeah like, this is my own first I mean I've chills thinking about that because I think that's something that so many people and especially women need to learn
2: yeah you know the topic of sexuality has been a big one for me ever since that Cosmo article came out which was kind of a whirlwind like I didn't expect that reaction I didn't expect to have these sex talks you know I'm just like well I just chose not to have sex you know no big deal but there are deeper things and maybe other people saw it before I did but to me it was like we always for women especially we voice this liberation of being sexually active which is great you know I love seeing women owning their sexuality and you you know, having casual sex and not feeling ashamed for it, even though society tries to make them feel that way. But I think what we lose by that too is the other side of the spectrum, which is you still can own your sexuality as a woman by choosing not to have sex, you know? So I just wish that women wouldn't make it one or the other because I feel like seeing other women get mad at another woman for choosing not to have sex this is my personal experience you know and i know women have nothing but the best of intentions but sometimes when they come at me and they're like no now you're shaming women for having sex i'm like no like you've never shamed i've never heard you shame a woman (laughs) and i I follow all your stuff so (laughs) thank you no that's never my intention but that had me thinking like why is it only if i'm out here having a lot of casual sex and You know, being vocal about it and doing all this, that I'm sex positive as a woman. Like, I'm still sex positive as a woman by not having sex. You know, I'm going through my own journey, which is my own, and I'm not pushing it on anyone. But my whole thing is if you know your sexual um, behavior is unhealthy, you're lying to yourself, you're saying it's fine, but really afterwards you feel empty or used or whatever then that's something you need to reflect on. Why are you doing it? And that's all I did for myself. But it is very much me trying to reclaim my sexuality because like I said, it was always in service to please other people or to do what I thought was I'm meant to do or whatever it may be. And I was like, no, I am a woman who is sexual, who loves being sexual, who likes to exude this feminine sexuality, which I feel like is very, Important in just feminine energy. Like we are sexual, we're seductive, we're sensual, all these things. And I want to be able to do that on my terms. And that's what's been so difficult is kind of like getting people to understand that. But I mean, I can't make
0: people understand what they're not willing to hear. Right. Because it's through their own lens of experience. And I think a lot of times the idea of sexual empowerment gets misconstrued that Mm -hmm. to be sexually empowered means you're having a lot of sex, Mm -hmm. which that may be a piece of it. It may not. But you can be asexual and have no sex and be very sex positive and be mm-hmm. very empowered. And so I think it's a lot of the ideas and messages we get from cultural images and mm-hmm. and movies and all this stuff. And we get this idea that, oh, this is the way you have to be sexual when really yeah. you've taken agency of yourself and saying I'm going to do this for myself and see where it goes and trust the path. And I think that's really beautiful.
2: Yeah, thank you. I think it's just one of those things, too, where, like, we went from one end where it was like, no, women don't have that much sex. They're not allowed to be sexually, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we combat that with, like, overly sexual because we're just like, oh, really? Like the pendulum swing. Exactly. So now it's just a matter of finding that balance in the middle where it's like, It's not one or the other. You can kind of
0: be. Just be yourself. Exactly. And if it weren't such a stigmatized, weird thing, it wouldn't be a big deal. You know, sex is so taboo still in our culture. It's really weird. I know. What was the hardest chapter for you to write? Oh, I don't
2: know. I mean, so many were hard for their own reasons. You know, the first chapter was hard just because, you know, that guy had express that he's a private person and doesn't like his stuff being out there and I was just like oh
0: god but you actually talked to him about it right oh, he was absolutely. the one that you basically a, got the go-ahead from and you don't say anyone's yeah. names or anything or even no. you didn't even give details about like they aren't in chronological order which I thought was smart right. you don't say they live in Idaho
2: right now well that was also on purpose I mean one I was just like I could never I never put names even on my problem with dating stories. That was never a thing, and to me, it was like a name does not add or take away from the story. That's just you wanting to know who it is, which <laughs> right, fine. But I'm not going to do that. But also, this like these stories, name or no name, like everyone who reads it probably has a name in their head when they read it. Like so many women have reached out and told me, I feel like I'm reading my journal. So it's a matter of, I don't need to put a name out there because you're already thinking of someone who's done this to you and you already attach a name to it. Ah. So it's more so the message and the lessons. These chapters are not about the men. You know, it's about me. It's very much, these are the experiences I've had. This is how they behaved, which some of them had their reasons, which I didn't know till later. But at the end of the day, what am I doing? You know, what is the repetitive behavior that I'm acting on that's making these situations occur so frequently? Because there's definitely, when you're reading it, at least when I was writing it, I was like, wow, Bruna, there is a lot of repetition here as far as like how things are going down.
0: But hardest chapter, I mean, I don't know. Writing my dad's chapter was pretty tough. I was going to say that one felt the most vulnerable to me. Just oh, really? Because, yeah, it, I actually felt a little... It felt so personal that I felt a little like cautious reading it almost because I felt this – I just felt so much vulnerability. And I say that as a compliment because I think that vulnerable writing is the most important. Thank you. And I, I just know that when you love someone that much to write about them and not in a polished – this was perfect way is a very challenging thing to do. And I know you've had a whole roller coaster with that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. You
2: know, it's especially like I'm Lebanese and in our culture, we're very, you know, private. We don't let people know what's going. I mean, that might be true for a lot of people just in general, especially my dad. He is super private. Um, So doing this, I already knew I was like, I'm going to have to have a conversation with my dad, but I didn't know how that would go. And when he knew I was writing a book, I don't think he knew exactly what about. And when he came to visit recently, you know, I was like, I have to talk to him about it. Like, this is the perfect opportunity. And he, I remember we were sitting at the park and we were reading books and talking. And then he asked about the book. I told him what the book was about, which initially I said, you know, it's going to detail different relationships I've had with various men he was just like oh no and I was like I know but just you know trust me and know that I I'm not going to put anything out there that is to shame anyone or whatever you know there's a big picture and I told him there's a chapter about you and he started to say okay just please don't and I stopped him I was like dad I love you and I respect you, but I cannot worry about your feelings when I write this. And I was like, I know that's hard to hear, but if I start thinking about how anyone in this book is going to feel, I'm not going to do it because I'm going to like, I'm going to worry myself into a hole, and I'm just going to be like, nope, forget it, I'm not going to do it. And right, which is where I think a lot of
0: writers stop themselves. Yeah, absolutely. so many. It's one of the most common questions I hear whenever I like speak at a conference about writing. They want to know how do you write without letting other people's feelings and concerns get in the way. And so I really respect that you do that as well. And you do something that I really strive for, which is you talk about it through your own eyes Mm -hmm. and through your own heart without shaming other people, even people who treated you like crap Mm -hmm. (laughs) at times, I told you, I, I think I tweeted about it. I like yeah. yelped at the gym. I was like, oh, I was so mad at this one guy. <laughs> and then I was so glad because I felt like a, like you would then come, like I knew you, that you were also seeing the same things. Like you, you saw it, yeah. but you had a way of not shaming it, but you share your experience, yeah. you know, and that's something I always try to do. And one of my friends said to me, how do you talk so much about like your own sex life and all the, and then she stopped herself and she goes, oh. You don't actually talk about the other people, you know, and that's how I have found t- to navigate it. Is that something that's really yeah. intentional for you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's intentional for multiple reasons. I mean, one is I am a big believer that in order to, you know, cause the light bulb in someone or create change or anything, you lead by example. And so if I were to do a book where it's like, no, this is how you should behave. And this is what you should do. No one's going to care, you know, or they're going to be offended or feel judged or whatever it may be. So I knew from day one, when I started writing about my personal life, I was like, I don't want to be preachy. I don't want to be gimmicky. I'm just going to share my stories. And if people relate to them, and they're on their own journey, and they're ready, then it's already going to plant a seed and cause some sort of effect, which I'm already seeing. So I know it's Working And that's my preferred method because there's enough people out here telling you what they think you should do, which I think is BS. So I'm just like, I'm not doing it that way. You know, you can't validate my experience or tell me what worked for you is going to work for me because that's not realistic. So I'll share my stories from my own lens. And I think the hardest part was not reacting from anger towards some of these people, like, especially Which may come off as a surprise, but like chapter, I think it's seven, he was the most recent guy. So there's still healing going on while I'm writing about him. And I had to, the difficulty with that chapter is I had to like time travel in my emotions and Mm. be like, okay, Bruna, you're angry now, but you don't want to put something down this permanent that you're going to regret later And, and read it and be like, wow, I was really just pissed. And- saying these mean things about someone that I do respect and value even though he may have acted in certain ways that I didn't like and so I had to really like simmer down and try to be like okay how can I honor my emotions not make excuses for him or protect him but also not react in a way that's just going to come off bitter and resentful because that's not the message
0: I'm trying to get across. Was that a healing process in doing so? Did you find yourself coming to a place where you weren't feeling so much of the bitterness or are you just letting yourself kind of get through that?
2: It was, it was healing. I mean, definitely needed a couple edits because I would like, reread certain parts I'm like oh
0: god that sounds really mad so still then- cool that you got that out though I always find that first of all for any writers out there you can put whatever the heck you want in your first draft you can scream and yell and put everybody's mm-hmm. names mm-hmm. in it and make a lot of horrible sentences that <laughs> it's so much easier and possible to change something you wrote yeah. than to not it, it stifles you otherwise and I feel like sometimes we have to just like I've done that with emails where I'm really upset about something and I know that it's probably about my own emotions you know right the there may be a very valid reason for them but sometimes I just have to like blast it out and then I save it as a draft and then the next day I'm like no not sending this one right
2: Yeah. yeah no you definitely have to hold on some stuff or just revisit it at a later time you know especially if you're like in the moment with that chapter, I had I first had to revisit and edit because I noticed that I was protecting a lot and I wasn't telling the full story out of fear of making him look some sort of way. And then, and then I was like, but that's not honest, you know? And that was my big goal throughout the entire book. So I went back to the quote in the beginning and I was just like, this is what happened, you know? And I'm fully aware that each chapter is my personal interpretation of the story you know if you go talk to any one of those men they may have their own interpretation of the story the difference is you you didn't give me your side so I couldn't share it anyway so if you're angry that you're reading this and you're like but no I did that because I was feeling this that and
0: the other thing it's like well you never expressed that to me Otherwise, you you would have mentioned that probably in the story. Yeah, because
2: my goal is never to like, oh, look at these horrible men and they're the worst. It's I don't care. It doesn't come across that way. Okay, good because that that's definitely not my intention. It's just a matter of, you know, I'm sharing the story that you left me with. So
0: yeah, and we all can only tell our own stories. Everyone else, I mean, we are all someone else's not so good story some right and that's multiple
2: that's something that I keep thinking about that I I hope people understand because when I was writing this one of the common questions was you know are you afraid of how they're going to react or are you afraid of this and that and it's like well yeah of course but at the end of the day everyone was starting to like freak out like oh what is she gonna write what are you gonna say and I'm like do you realize that You're a part of so many people's stories already and they don't need to write a book for you to start worrying about how you carry yourself. So just because I wrote a book and put it in like a tangible thing that you can read doesn't make it any different than you and me right now. Like I'm a part of your story in this moment and you're a part of mine. And so you always get a choice. You always get to decide how you want your quote chapter to be. So I'm always just like why do people wait or freak out when it's like an artist or someone who can actually create something tangible from their experience? You're still leaving some sort of story behind with people you react with. So if you don't want it to be negative, don't be
0: negative in that person's life. Yeah. You do a really good job as well in the book, I think, of talking about yourself in a way. If if you're hard on anyone in the book, I think it's you. I get that a lot. Yeah. Did and you I, feel that? I know that. Um,
2: probably. I think I I knew that because I just know that about myself. And I know that in the past, you know, I'll tell stories to people. And they're always like, but Bruna, they shouldn't have behaved that way. Or why do you keep blaming yourself or this and that? I'm just like, who else am I going to blame? You know, because to me, I always feel like, you know, I never want to feel like a victim. And I think I did for a long time. And so I was kind of trying to shift that. And again, it's trying to find that balance in the middle where I'm not a victim, but I'm also not, you know, the reason that bad things always happen. Sometimes it's just shitty people doing shitty things. And so I really had to kind of find that, but I do hold myself to a standard that is sometimes like unrealistic and I'm trying to get better at it, but it's also like Trying to change so many
0: years of yeah. myself that Pressure I'm like on yourself for yeah. sure. The other thing though that I, I did feel shined was the lessons that you learned and your your confidence throughout, especially toward the end. There's a chapter that's really powerful in that you're talking about who saved you. I don't want mm-hmm. to give it away, but there's a there's a theme of that as well where you're very real about oh, yep, guess what I did again, you know. But then mm-hmm. you also are sharing the the standing up out of these things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing for, for people to hear as well, because I think we do shame ourselves for the stories we are in other people's lives.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no way, you mentioned it earlier, there's no way to be this like perfect human being to everyone all the time like sure there are people out there who probably have not so great things to say about me at some point in their life but it's the accountability like I really I always feel like I can't ask of anyone what I'm not willing to do myself and so if I want people around me to be accountable and to strive to be their best self or to you know, just be healthy, conscious, whole, open-minded people. I need to do that too. So I do hold myself accountable a lot. And I told myself, you know, in this book, because there was, you know, certain areas that I didn't intentionally, I wasn't going to talk about it because it it made me look bad. And then I was like, well, what kind of message is that? That I'm just going to talk shit about all these other things. And then I'm not going to talk about the stuff I did. That's not real. So I was like, all right. I got to be open about this stuff and knowing that it's also just that power of feeling like I owned up to everything so you have nothing that you can use against me you know there's there's a lot of comfort in that like yeah you might read something and be like wow that was horrible Bruno why did you do that and it's like but I did it you know me not talking about it isn't going to make it go away and me owning it is just kind of like, okay, what else do you got? Like, I... I know I did that. I know it's bad and I, I'm learning
0: and I grew from it. So what else you got? Like, no one can you know? hurt you with something that you already put out there yourself. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it's very human. It's human for all of us to make mistakes. You did something that I've done before too, giving your address to someone you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, th- we we do those things and yeah. we might look back and go, oh, why? Right. But nobody's perfect and that's, that's the whole process. Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask you about a pretty dark section of the book. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's listening and they are sensitive about self-harm sexual assault I don't think we'll get into like super detail but if anyone needs to step away or fast forward just a few minutes you can Mm -hmm. Uh, but I thought that that was a a brave thank you decision on your part on your part what was it like writing about the sexual assault which happened with uh, or from a a boyfriend, right? Mm-hmm. And you didn't realize it was assault for for quite a while. And then also, you developed some um, self harming behaviors to cope, which is why people do that. Mm-hmm. What was that writing process like for you?
2: Um, I knew at least with the self harm, I knew I was going to include it in the story because I I don't know throughout the years, it's something that I felt would come up a lot, just in general as like a general. Conversation with people in the public, and I was like, "Wow! Like, I feel called to share my experience because you know, everyone from the outside looking in has their own um idea of who I am, how my life was like, how I've dealt with things, all this stuff. And I'm like, it's probably not close to the truth. um But I also knew, like, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna wait for the book so I can really like give the full story in the background." It was healing to talk about for sure. It was also sad because writing, which I'm sure you can attest to, you really have to go back to certain moments
0: emotionally. And it's like, ugh, I really thought I was like
2: and done with this. it doesn't matter how many
0: times you go back there. Yeah. For me, it hasn't. When I tell certain stories, it it hits me like the first time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the sexual assault was its own beast, just because, like you mentioned, I didn't realize that was assault until last year, like last year. And this happened, I don't want to like age myself, but this happened like 15-ish years ago. So as someone who does consider herself very self-aware and smart and intelligent and all this stuff, I was like, how did I not realize that that's not the way it should be? And actually it was, I don't know if I mentioned this in the book, but it was during a date with the chapter seven guy that I realized oh I was sexually assaulted because we were talking about I don't know what he just provided such a safe space for us to like go back into our histories and talk about not so great things and he knew about this ex for other reasons and then I mentioned that specific scene that I describe in, in the book and the way he looked at me my heart broke And I was just like, he wasn't supposed to do that, huh? And he was like, no. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Mm. Then you have to process everything all over again. And you're just like, what else did I, quote, allow
0: to happen Mm. to me? There's the self-blaming stuff that comes up. It can be very validating in some ways to go Mm -hmm. back and go, oh, well, no wonder. This person hurt me. Therefore, this, this, and this makes sense. But then there's the how could I, quote, let this, even though it was a thousand percent not your fault Mm -hmm. and the fact that you didn't know that it was assault is such a cultural thing yeah so it's an important story because if people don't believe that people have been assaulted because it Mm -hmm. was a boyfriend or yeah you know or that whole idea that he is he needs it from you that was like very visceral in that chapter right and I
2: know before we got on air we spoke about Megan, Dr. Megan Stubbs, who is a friend awesome. of both of ours. Yeah. So she's a sex educator who I'm lucky enough to have, you know, one call away. And when it came to that chapter, I, I was still so, like, taken aback by this revelation that even he wasn't going to be in the book. He wasn't even a thought. I was like, well, OK, that was a, a long term relationship and it wasn't great. But like, I don't know that there is anything I need to talk about. And then all of a sudden all this stuff happened and I was like, oh my goodness. And so I reached out to her because I was still, there was still some denial about it. And I was just like, is this rape? Like, is this sexual assault? I don't know. I don't, because like I mentioned in the book, you think of rape and sexual assault and you immediately have this picture in your mind of what that looks like. And it's usually, you know, the dark alley stranger coming at you and all this stuff. Which is the least common type. Right And horrible, but the least common type. Right. And yeah. so it was like so many fears came up instantly. Like, am I calling out someone who didn't do what I think they did? Am I going to minimize other women's experiences who were more traumatic than this? And they're going to read it and think like, how dare you try to like milk this or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. all these different mm-hmm. fears that you have. But at the end of the day, I was like, you know, she affirmed like, no, this is absolutely You know, this is rape and sexual assault. She let me know all rapes are sexual assaults, but not all sexual assaults are rape. And I was just like, okay.
0: And there's no such thing as non-consensual sex that's rape. Right. Yeah. And it also, especially when it's sexual assault and there was not penetration. I feel like it's really important for the person who it happened to to be the one to dis- to say this was an assault, you know, or if it wasn't. I think sometimes people can jump to things and go, oh, well, that person, you know, touched your breast. That was definitely assault. And if you're like, actually, it was not a big deal to me. It was fine, blah, blah, blah. And you really, truly feel that to your core. Yeah. You know, then it's, it's not. But when the description of how you were feeling. Mhm. I mean, there's no question.
2: Yeah, and that's that's something that I would go back to. Like I remember this moment so vividly. Why? You know, why is this sticking out to me? Why I didn't feel good? So why not? And then, you know, you make up your excuses. Well, I wasn't in the mood or blah 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 and it's like, "But no, it went a lot deeper than that." And so, honestly, part of telling this story was because I know there are so many women who can relate to it and who probably go through the same motions I went through, which is no, that's not what it was. No, that's fine. So if you're not acknowledging that that's not okay, how many times are you putting yourself through that, which without realizing like, I don't have to do this. And that's what gets me mad. Honestly, like I'm not even mad at my ex. I'm not mad at any of that because I hope I'm not just making excuses for him, but I really feel like our sex, our sex education is not how it should be. And so I really almost feel like he has no idea that that's what it was. Um, but that doesn't mean it's okay.
1: Right. And that doesn't
2: mean that we should just turn the other cheek and say, well, it, you know, they don't know better.
0: But they should know better. They should. And they should know that that's actually even not about sex, right? It's a uh, mm-hmm. if men were taught to have other outlets for their emotions and their thoughts and their feelings. I feel like men are given two options. Be violent, be sexual in an aggressive way. I mean, that's a really black and white way of saying it because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of guys know and and are in that healthier space. but. It's it's a cultural thing that has so much more to do with, like, power, control, and Absolutely. toxic masculinity and all these crazy yeah, things. Which yeah. they've been
2: fed since the day they were born. So it's kind of like, again, not to make excuses, but what are we doing to remedy the problem? And right. so I'm happy that that's a conversation that's happening more now, and I'm happy that more men are speaking out about this because, you know, women have been talking about it, and it's something that sucks because— I was telling my guy friends the other night, you know, I will never be able to identify with that experience because I'm a woman, but I still have to deal with the effects of it constantly. So what are we going to be able to do together? Like, what do I need to do as a woman to help stop this like archaic mindset of, oh, men have to be aggressive and sexual and violent and all this stuff in order to, quote, be a man? That's ridiculous to me, but I don't, I can't say that because I don't want to dismiss their upbringing and what they're going through. I don't understand. It's the same way as I don't want a man to ever tell me, oh, just say no to the guy or just why didn't you just do this or do that? And it's like, really? Do you know what it's like to be in a bar and get felt up by a strange man and then feel like, you can't say anything because he might
0: clock you, or he yeah. might call you a bitch, or he might throw a drink in your face. You know, you don't know till you're in that situation. And you right. talk about you froze, which is one of the ways that we are hardwired to react. It's either fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah, and it's terrifying to feel that paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Especially because I do consider myself as someone who's very like, if I need to be confrontational, I will be like, there's no doubt about, and I have been in other situations. So it's really a case by case. Like I froze with my ex, but I had a guy friend in high school who tried and I flipped on him and I just started yelling in his face and he left. I've had strange men in bars who got way too close. And it, that one is, Scarier to me because they're a complete stranger and you don't know how they're going to react. So sometimes I'll get up in their face and I've literally almost gotten into fist fights with guys because they wouldn't respect my boundaries. But I've also done the nervous laugh and smile and acted like it wasn't a big deal, even though it was just because I was like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. So I'm just going to give him my fake number or try and Act as uninterested as possible so that he can get the hint, which unfortunately they almost never do. And
0: then I'm like caught in this like weird space that I should have never had to be in. Thank you for sharing that because I feel like we also get an idea that either somebody's always really fierce in their response or not, and it's actually yeah. it is case by case, and we are having to strategize in the moment, mm-hmm. which can look different in every scenario. That's why I feel like the muscle memory is really important to you know i took um an impact personal safety self defense class mm, and so much of that was about prevention right which mm-hmm. i think is so important and i i'm always careful when i talk about it i don't i don't think that it is the onus should be on us to be right. like you need to learn this because that's the way the world is what i see it as is understanding your own capabilities mm-hmm. in a huge sense that goes beyond a a guy approaching you or whatever it was so empowering but the the muscle memory when you are when you are really kind of working it and and thinking about these it becomes a reflex yeah yeah Yeah. in all different scenarios in the boardroom you know anywhere absolutely which it is sad that
2: we feel like we have to do that so at least I do I'm always like I gotta take some I took boxing for a bit and but I'm always like well in this world I got to make sure I can defend myself which is sad when you think about it. I mean I get it but it's also like
0: Yeah. Well why why are we not teaching men to not be aggressive with yeah. women? I mean hopefully we are. I I think some people are but we've so far to go. Yeah. I do think having gone through the classes and I took several. I took one where it was against a an assailant with a weapon. Mm-hmm. I mean we had the really intense role playing stuff where the teach some of the teachers are wearing armor basically. And you can, I mean, I was flying through the air. They were lifting me up. You have to, it's really intense. But what I loved about it was it brought me to a level of confidence that wasn't about fear like oh my god I have to walk around in this world and it's scary tonight and all that stuff although it helps in those scenarios hugely but just the idea of oh wow the world also has taught me that I can't take care of myself the world has taught me that a woman can't be strong and that she doesn't really have the physical power to take care of herself yeah and now I know I can so I think that that is a cool kind of you know, take away from it.
2: Yeah, it's very empowering because we do, we're fed through media and so many other things growing up that like, well, if a man doesn't come in and save you, you're done for, you know? And it's just like, ugh, like let's let's try to shift that narrative a little bit. I mean, sure, it's it's not always gonna be easy to fight off an attacker regardless of who you are, but at least knowing that you could or at least learn what some sort of tricks or something that could help
0: you, I think that's necessary. Yeah, yeah. What helped you heal the most from, like, the self-harming behaviors and and some of that? Was it a a process? Were there particular things that were the most impactful? Mm, I mean, without giving away anything in the book, I think
2: it was seeing it from a different perspective, you know, that really resonated with me as far as, like, okay— This is something I'm doing, which in all honesty, I knew innately was not healthy and not good for me and not helpful in any way. Um, And so seeing it. I'm trying not to give it away, seeing it in a different perspective and through other people, Mm -hmm. I think, was just very impactful for me to be like, this isn't this isn't the right way to go about things and to just kind of like it happened I'm not proud of it, but it happened, and, you know, I can decide today that it's not something I want to lean on or go towards, and to be completely frank, like, years later, it still pops up in your mind, like, you know, when you do that and something happens in your life that takes you back down that dark spiral, you know, your thoughts just revert back, and then that, to me, is, like, the biggest test of, like, okay, I am now in a position where. I can either react and do something that I know I've already decided I don't want to do, or I can like just take a beat and let these thoughts, which are just thoughts, pass
0: through and like overcome this. And so luckily that's been the case. But And did you find new ways to cope immediately? Were there certain things? Was that a challenging process to find another mm-hmm. a way that would be more nurturing for yourself?
2: I mean, I think that's when, like, the writing really became prevalent for me. Um, Music, too. Like, I just love listening to music and letting myself... Like, I listen to music alone a lot and just let myself... Like, if I need to cry, I'm going to ugly cry. If I want to dance, I'll dance, you know, whatever. But writing has always been my thing. So it's like, okay, what am I feeling? Let me write it down. No one has to read this. Let me just get it out and then there is a sense of relief that comes with that and and you don't
0: harm yourself in the process. So that was always good for me. Yeah. So there's so many epiphanies along the way that you've Mm -hmm. shared and I'm sure more even that are not in the book. Where are you now as far as the dating relationship journey? Are you dating? Are you seeking any particular thing? I'm open
2: to dating. I'm not dating like anyone specific right now. I think This book, you know, it's called Let That Shit Go for a Reason, and it's not just like me showing you or sharing stories of letting things go. The book is like my tangible thing of letting my own shit go. So when I put this book out, I was like, okay, anything that I was contributing to or doing in this book, I'm letting it go with the release of this book, and I'm starting fresh. So I'm in a place right now where I'm really like trying to just continue the healing and continue to better myself to attract the right type of partner now that I know what that looks like and should feel like. So that's kind of where I'm at, and
0: I'm I'm really happy with that. What's your biggest advice for someone who's feeling really stuck in their own patterns? You talk about meeting the same person over and over in a different body. Mm -hmm. What would you tell someone who's like, I keep doing that? Yeah, I mean, something that
2: I did is... I had this, like, ideal relationship, like, exercise where I'd write down, like, what's the ideal relationship that I want, you know? And I'd write down the things that I would want in a partner. Then I would flip it on myself and be like, so what of these things am I bringing to the table? What are some things, you know, the accountability is the big thing. What am I doing? Like, what is these like repeating behaviors I'm doing. I was falling really fast. I was investing very soon. I was feeling the need to prove myself. My abandonment issues made me feel like, "Oh no, I got to cling on as tight as I can because if you leave, like that reflects poorly on me. I'm not worth it." You know, all this stuff. So it was just mainly like you need to sit down and really make a decision. Do I want to become a better person? Which hopefully the answer is yes. But understand that in that process, you're going to have to face some like not so pretty things about yourself, which doesn't mean that you're a horrible person. You're human. And at least you're taking that step to identify what those things are. So you can be like, all right, that was me before. Like this is the me I want to be because this is the relationship I want to attract. And just knowing that you can always change. You know, if there's
0: something about yourself that you don't like, then decide tomorrow. Like that's no longer a part of who I am. Thank you for not only being here today but for sharing so much of yourself I feel like your book is a lot like sitting with a friend Mm -hmm. who you really trust and who is not afraid or maybe is afraid but does it anyway share Mm -hmm. it all and share the lessons and with a sense of compassion for other people that they might also get a glimmer from it thank you that means so much tell people where they can learn more about you and follow you Oh, well,
2: so you can follow The Problem with Dating on social networks. It's all at Prob With Dating. You can visit the website, www.theproblemwithdating.com. And if you really want to get to know me, you can pick up a copy of Let That Shit Go on Amazon and, you know, just deep dive into my darkest
0: secrets (laughs) (laughs) which is so fun and you have an event coming up where people can hear you speak about these secrets I do I know and I'm like so nervous about it um oh you'll be great
2: thank you yeah I'm really um fortunate I'll be doing a book signing and Q&A you know, about the writing process and and just putting a book like this out at the Last Bookstore in downtown LA on October 1st at 7 p.m. If you already have a copy of the book, you can just show up. If you need to get a copy of the book, there is a ticket link on their website. So I'm excited about it because I know that this is the beginning. You know, this book was a a huge confirmation for what I believed, but maybe self-doubt would creep in. And to put something like this out and get such a warm and positive response by men and women. Like, let me just put that out there too. This is not just a book for single women. This can resonate with everyone because the overarching messages and themes relate to anyone. So it's just been like really good to hear that people relate and they're willing to be
0: better and they want to learn more about other people and themselves. And it's, it's an exciting time. Now for a throwback Ask Dr. Megan segment, as I've been traveling around and doing events for my Girl Boner book, I've heard all sorts of thoughtful questions from attendees. One the other night reminded me so much of this question I received from Paula last year, and it led to this really interesting discussion. I have a feeling others of you will relate. So I thought it was well worth exploring again. Here is the email I received last year. I accidentally spotted very, very hardcore porn on my boyfriend's computer the other day. Then, because I must be masochistic, I looked at his bookmarks, and he seems to watch a lot of this stuff. I'm vanilla extreme and now feel both boring by comparison and a little freaked out that he probably has violent fantasies. Plus, he hasn't told me about any of this in our three years together, which feels secretive, or maybe it's none of my business. I don't know what to say or if I should say anything. Thank you so much again for this question last year, Paula. I hope that things have gone really well for you since. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say.
1: Paula, great question. Um, I guess I want to start by saying, you know, you're wondering if you're masochistic. And I can certainly say, based on the fact that you describe yourself as vanilla extreme, I really doubt that in any way you felt pleasure, sexual pleasure, um, from sort of viewing this uh, porn or the bookmarks of your boyfriend um, so, let's be clear, you're definitely not the definition of masochistic. I think you're curious. Um, and I think it's that curiosity and also maybe fear that led to your checking those bookmarks um, because it was your way of seeing, you know, what else is there. Um, and I think it starts with saying that there's a big difference between um, privacy and secrecy. Uh, you've been three years into a relationship and, again, even though you describe yourself as uh, sort of vanilla, you know, I'm wondering if your boyfriend on any level at any time has expressed an interest uh, for greater sexual variety, sexual positions, uh, maybe even like a light blindfold, if he might be, you know, while you're seeing hardcore, whether that might include some BDSM. Because, um, you know, I'm not sure if on any level that he's dissatisfied, um, but certainly seeing this calls it into question for you. And so, again, it just might be something that on his own he really gets pleasure out of. And the thing I can say about fantasy and uh, erotica in general is that, listen, a lot of times what may turn someone on in fantasy is not necessarily something that they want to do in real life. Um, And others, you know, it's such a big turn on that they really do kind of want to put a toe in the water and explore that uh, in real life with partners. And so, you know, I think the question, you know, ultimately, what do you do? Do you say anything or what to say? Um, I think kind of what I would say is it's an opportunity to create a conversation um, to talk about your sex life and you know what you enjoy about it what's great about it um, and what either and or both of you might be interested in exploring Um, and that could be through reading fantasies together sharing fantasies and the big thing is if he might reveal to you a fantasy of, uh, say, BDSM or anything, you know, that feels more hardcore, it's to really ask the question, and what about that turns him on? Because you just don't want to make jump to conclusions and judgments um, as if, you know, you know what that is. Or or again, even this idea he's into hardcore porn doesn't necessarily equal violent fantasies, unless, of course, you might have witnessed something like that. Um, And so, again, if hypothetically it was violent fantasies, doesn't mean that he initially wants to act that out in any way. But we don't know until we ask. And so, You know, it could be bringing up a conversation about, um, you know, a girlfriend having read Fifty Shades of Grey or you're reading it and what if anything spoke to you or you might initiate a conversation that way or there's now a popular sort of showtime. uh, It's called Billions and in that uh, one of the primary couples actually in the privacy in the bedroom, they have their own sort of BDSM role play. And so I actually have a client uh, who's older and he's, um, interested in seeking new relationships, who you know, partners who are interested in BDSM, and so for him, watching this show and seeing their reactions to it and having that conversation is kind of his own version of a litmus test. So, you know, I think there are many ways to sort of, sort of from the side, bring up the conversation without revealing that um, essentially you did invade his privacy by looking at those bookmarks, um, and that again, it's really as it is often is great sex. In part comes from great communication and the ability to express turn-ons, and you know what you know. Again, I always come back to this: yes, no, not for now. You know, so making a list and thinking it through, and you know, seeing whether or not you know. At the end of the day, you might just be extreme vanilla, or you might just be somebody who hasn't yet tried yet. Being the opposite word, other things that might be huge turn-ons for you. So I think it's an opportunity. It's always an opportunity. Um, you know, to have a conversation and see where it goes. And as always, love to hear, um, you know, the, the outcome of that.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she had to say about having the difficult conversation because I think I personally would feel pretty weird if I just kept it secret. And since you did spot it, it might really provide an opportunity to be vulnerable together and say, you know, hey, I just, I came upon this. Can we talk about it? I also love what Dr. Megan said about what we fantasize about not necessarily being what we want to experience in real life or with a partner. And as she said, it's very likely that, He loves what he's having with you and these sexual experiences. Like you said, it sounds like you weren't aware of these kinds of fantasies. So starting with that conversation, I think, could be really, really important. And if anyone else has questions on this topic or thoughts to share, I hope you will. Find me at augustmclaughlin.com, or you can also find me and contact me on social media. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or iHeart Radio if you haven't yet. Thank you so much for listening, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.